for the study of race, politics, and culture at the University of Chicago, New John, a podcast about understanding the connections between race, capitalism, and neoliberalism, with your host, Michael Dawson. It's my pleasure to welcome to the New Dawn podcast, Stephen Pitts, Associate Chair of the UC Berkeley Labor Center. Pitts completed his doctoral training in economics, focusing on urban economics at the University of Houston. At the Berkeley Labor Center, Pitts is interested in issues of job equality and black workers. To this end, Pitts has published numerous reports on employment issues in the black community, initiated a black union leadership school, and shaped projects to build solidarity and coalition between black and brown immigrant workers. Hello, Stephen. Um, thanks for being on the show today. It's a pleasure meeting you, although that's a lie. We've known each other for, well, I won't say- A couple uh, years. Yeah, let's just say a couple years. No, neither of us- Couple wants, years. Neither of us wants to uh, date ourselves. <laughs> so, how have you been doing other than the current political situation, which has been- <laughs> A mess. Um, things okay. So seriously, the, um, the first week past the election was really rough, to be honest. Um, I kind of think all of us were kind of traumatized. Yeah. That in some strange way, it showed we were kind of invested in Hillary winning. We didn't always admit to, to be honest. Um, and the first week was, was tough. You know, I, I mentioned how um, I literally started crying sometimes for no good reason. I, I saw a friend of mine's um, wife on Facebook. I started crying. You know, so I think we were very raw emotionally. Yeah. And um, now I'm kind of beyond that piece, at least. But still, it's going to be rough now. But that's gets part of our conversation about things to be a very, very rough time next next um, several decades. Yeah, I think it's going to be rough. Um, and how long, I think, depends a lot on what we do. I'm not sure I would phrase it exactly the same way. I'm not sure. I don't think I was ever vested in Hillary winning. I think I was vested in Trump losing, um, which required Hillary uh, winning. But that was a means to an end, I think. For it's kind of, <laughs> but it's a, pack, it's a package deal. Yeah. So I'm not sure you, you can't tie it to in this real situation. Um, how we phrase it that that um. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no. No. Not trying to split hairs at all, man. Yeah. But we clearly it's, we're not like, not expected, and it's very troublesome in many ways. And the consequences um, have global implications. I think probably uh, potentially beyond the election, either Ronald Reagan or Richard Nixon. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I think because what I've been saying, this may be my kind of Mr. Doom and Gloom thing, is that, Mike, we were raised under kind of a New Deal construct, yep. New Deal and Great Society that kind of shaped everything, and we either fought that um, because we wanted a better democracy, or we kind of supported it. The kind of battle was, was the, mm -hmm. the context, and because of the time period, Nixon couldn't defeat that con context, that construct, and nor could Reagan fully, but the GOP would do it this time. They're going to actually destroy that con that construct, and that's why I feel really depressed sometimes. Is since the challenge is building building a new world, new new construct. So tell tell us a little bit about your work at the Labor Center and how that ties into working with activists and scholars and trying to come up with that new construct. Yeah, well, overall, the um the, the Labor Center is really an outreach arm of the university, and so our mission as institutions trying to bring on the skills of staff and the university, both around trainings and research and convenings, providing technical assistance to the larger community and trying to improve the conditions for working people of all races. And so that's kind of the, the broad mission of the Labor Center. Um, my 
element of that has been focused on black workers. And, and um, we've kind of framed it by talking black workers and job quality. And we say that because one kind of part of the work is trying to expand the discussion around the black job crisis to go beyond unemployment mm-hmm. and also look at low wage work. And too often times discussion nearly focused on unemployment. That simply misses the reality of black folks. Um, we, tr- we try to expand the discussion, go beyond just servicing and talk about organizing. And we try to expand the conversation to go beyond just the question of individual improvement or good group advancement. And, and so we can't take black workers and job quality. And there are kind of three threads to the work. Um, we, we started an African-American union leadership program. And the goal formally was to develop black union, develop, develop union leaders rather, because we're in a Prop 209 state, by the way, develop union leaders who, who want to bridge the gap between the labor movement and the black community. It's going, been on, going on for about 10 years now. We've also done some research just to talk more and more about low-wage work in the black community. Mm-hmm. And, and lastly, um, we kind of incubated the National Black Worker Center Project. And it's kind of been set free formally this past um, past summer. And the project is an attempt to support existing black worker centers and incubate new ones. Tell me a little bit more about the black worker centers. What do they entail? Well, well the idea is that, go back to the idea of you need to organize black workers to address the black job crisis. The idea is that we need different forms, uh, new forms, and expand a set of forms to just, just a crisis. And so I think the idea of having non-union forms of black organizers is important mm-hmm. so that black workers can, can begin to build power to address the crises in many different arenas. And so simply, we're trying to start up black worker centers and support existing ones. And so th- there's no sort of fixed template. Uh, we don't believe in kind of a cookie-cutter model. The idea is kind of drop anchor where you are and find out where you are, what are your strengths, what are your resources, what are your relationships, and from there, build out. And so in L.A., they've been focusing on construction mm-hmm. and, and trying to, to improve the plight of black workers in construction in L.A. Here in the Bay Area, we've kind of landed on the issue of, of uh, mass incarceration. How can we assist the former incarcerated? And East Center has its own kind of area to start on. And the idea is that simply if you lock down a sector, we can then spread the lessons across the, 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 the network. Uh, when I was obviously much younger, I had dropped out of college and was working for a living uh, to support a young family and helped to form a black workers caucus uh, at my workplace. Um, and it was very much modeled on the work that sisters and brothers were doing in Detroit in the Detroit Revolutionary uh, Union Movement and the work that uh, black workers were doing um, in, in Mawa, New Jersey, and the work that uh, some Chicano caucuses were doing and all the plans in the Bay Area. Uh, to what degree... Were you in GM Fremont? Were you in GM Fremont? Yep, yep. Oh, I didn't know that. No, I wasn't there. Some of the... I guess we call them today colleagues. We called them something else at the time. Uh, <laughs> friend, friend, friends, friends. Friends, you're in, right. Friends um, were at, at uh, Fremont, uh, which was eye-opening. Um, but to what degree did that a legacy in the 1970s, uh, 1960s, um, organizing uh, black and brown workers, uh, carrying into the lessons at the black worker centers or uh, black workers more generally today, or there, it is a totally new effort with no ties uh, to that era of uh, independent um, organizing. 
so if, if ties mean um, direct connections with the work mm-hmm. or kind of strong kind of intellectual or just memories of the work, it's uneven and not a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it depends upon kind of um, the generation we're talking about. We had a fascinating exercise at our membership meeting on Saturday where we asked, there's about 20 people in the room, and we asked people to line up chronologically by when they first got involved in the movement. And so those of us who kind of said 1970, we, we would know of those, right. that activity. Right. But people, people who said 2005, 2016, like what's Gene Fremont? I mean, that's Tesla, right? Whatever. Yeah. And, and so I think that, that in terms of direct hookups, there's not a lot of direct connection there with most people. Mm-hmm. But the spirit is the same. I, I really think that whenever you have an upsurge in black activism, you always find some sort of manifestation of that amongst black workers. And to the extent that kind of all the black caucus stuff was a reflection of black power, I think that we have now is parallel to what I'll call the Black Lives Matter movement. You have this upsurge in looking at black worker centers. How is this work, if it is work, tied to the uh, 15 movement? It's in the same spirit. Mm-hmm. I guess to use a familiar analogy, call them cousins. Okay. You know, um, I, I think that our scale is such that there is not a lot of clear overlap. Mm-hmm. But clearly, they got a demonstration, we're down, those sort of things. You know, I think in LA, where there's a larger presence, Mm-hmm. There's much more kind of inter, I mean, interconnection between Fight for 15, BLM, those sort of things. So it depends on the scale of the work. Yeah. In Chicago, they've been at a table to try to look at kind of how do you bring in the black voice and some of the Chicago economic justice struggles. So I think that, that, that ex- we're in the same space, basically. So one of the interesting aspects of the movements uh, from the 60s and 70s that we know both from direct experience as well as from uh, you know, work of various scholars like Clay Carson was that there were these different organizing efforts, some in the some in auto plants, some in schools, some in communities, um, some around health, um, that eventually begin to coalesce in a very uneven way. What we see today are, as you just pointed out, in places like LA, Chicago. Uh, movements around Fight for 15, movements within work, workplaces, movements around Black Lives Matter, movements around um, incarceration. To what degree do you see these different uh, movements around immigration, which we'll talk about more in a second, these different movements beginning to um, make ties to each other, at least on the local level? In terms of the um, tying different sectoral struggles or yeah. tying workers and community? Well, both tying workers and community, but also we see all these different types of upsurges in different sectors. Um, and in some cities, we're beginning to see people reaching out across their, across their boundaries to try to see if there's common purposes. And I'm just wondering to what degree you see that happening on a broader level. Yeah, I one important difference in context compared to the mid to late 60s, early 70s, is the nature of the black civil society mm-hmm. and the links of this movement to black civil society. So I think that when you talk about the activism you mentioned um, in the late 60s, that way came out of a different type of black civil society. And most of the people in various ways were deeply linked to that tightly knit black community. I think that community is far, far different now in a number of dimensions, a whole different kind of conversation. And then if you think about some of the activism, for instance, so 
Fight for 15, while clearly has some roots, it was initiated by SCIU. It was different in terms of, of the nature of the kind of initial energy, at least, and difference in terms of some, some of the connections in the community itself, itself. And so while it might have been easy to have this kind of cross-sector linkages back in the day, we'll call it, mm-hmm. because of the commonality of, of, of links to black civil society, I think that you don't have the same sort of obvious connections today amongst folk doing the Walmart stuff, doing Fight for 15, doing Black Workers and stuff, and, and so forth. Um, what was fascinating, you, you began to see some sort of interconnectivity in, in terms of, um, once again, some of the activity going with SIU around home health care, Fight for 15, um, um, adjunct professors sort of activity, where you saw people who were participating view themselves as being part of a low-wage worker movement. That is very evident in some of the activity here. But I think the difference is not so much the connection across those act- that activism, but the issue of going deep into the community is different. Gotcha. Um, one of the questions we're all asking ourselves is, how does the election of Donald Trump and the administration that he's putting together is likely to affect the type of work we're doing over the next, as you put it, several years and potentially few decades. How do you see that playing out with your work? Well, first, I think it's it's really more than Trump. I mean, I, I was hesitant, and I'm less, a bit less hesitant now, but I hate that term Trumpism, to be honest, mm-hmm. because I think it downplays the deep level of reactionary tendencies in the GOP. And, and the issue is not simply the fact that Trump is who he is, but also that they have control of the government, the federal government. And I think that with, with the possible exception of foreign policy, there's probably very little difference in kind of the, the, the policy platforms of the Trump appointees and the dominant wing of the GOP. And so it's really not the Trump, it's the GOP. And, and, and so given that, they're going to roll back these protections. And whether it be in the realm of labor, labor force protections, whether it be health and safety, whether it be civil rights, they can roll this stuff back, Michael. And, and so it means that to the extent, for instance, L.A., um, part of their work around construction, they saw that an important strategy would be, to, well, important tactic would be to get a, re, re, a rewriting of the rules from the DOL around, around um, the need for contracts to have minority participation in the workforce. And so the strategy was to, to kind of do a last 100 days for Obama, first 100 days for Hillary, and try to get those, those rules rewritten. That's gone, okay? There, there'd be no sort of changing of the rules favorably for black workers, any workers, under the Trump administration. So I think that to the extent that people saw the federal government in a complicated way as being an ally in these struggles, that's totally gone. And, and the danger now is kind of, if you look what happened in North Carolina, what happened in, in Ohio, is state government's gonna, gonna more and more roll down on the capacity of local governments all to be, be creative. So you might have seen in Ohio that in the midst of, of the locales that are trying to have city-level minimum wage laws, the state said you can't do that any longer. And, and so to the extent that a lot of these workplace struggles allow for some sort of jujitsu where we brought in the government on our side against um, capital, that has gone altogether. It's, it's major, Michael, it's really major, seriously, it's major. One of the aspects of the past election, um, I mean, I totally agree with you that we're talking about the the full institutionalization of the 
GOP and its policy um, apparatus. And one thing that we used to say is that the bourgeoisie didn't directly run the state. Well, they are now. (laughs) 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 It is the second committee of the bourgeoisie. (laughs) Because Secretary Sam Secretary Hardy's, right? That's all it is, right? It's amazing. Anyway. Secretary of Hardy, Secretary of Carl's Jr., you know. (laughs) So, but the, but one of the, one of the interesting and dangerous aspects that we also saw, though, was a popular mobilization uh, racist reaction um, empowered as well, um, as Mbabi probably most clearly, at least in, in the West Wing and the person of uh, Steve Bannon. Um, so one of the questions that we've been working through here, and I would be interested in your take on is, how do the how likely are struggles where we see the intersection of race, gender, and and class get affected? Uh, you talked about civil rights legislations are going to be rolled back. We're already seeing that um, the type of policies embodied in the person of Vice President-elect Pence are being rolled out at the local level, the state level, and we assume now at the federal level in ways that they had in, in quite a long time. To what degree do we have to rethink the relationship between struggles for racial justice, justice economic ju- justice, uh, reproductive rights, and the like? Yeah. So a couple things. So um, in terms of kind of the the rising white nationalist kind of assault that that that, that, will, that is and will take place, we had a, an election debrief call amongst the Black Workers Center folk, and the question is raised by the issue of black vulnerability in the current situation. And the fact that the, what they're seeing in L.A. was, on the construction sites, more and more racist slander. Mm-hmm. And so I think an important thing to do is begin to document that. Because a lot, our movement is very, very policy-oriented. And so we're clear about rolling back, DAPA, DACA, all those sort of things, right? But we haven't been that forceful on the issue of kind of what I call the day-to-day assault to beat down on the, on the job. And while it may not be on that exact sort of black policy rollback, there will be a clear sort of assault on blackness in the workplace. So I think an important thing is begin to document that and talk about the ways that we see this rise in white nationalism impacting black workers directly. The second thing I think, the reason why I've always thought about the importance of organizing black workers is that people are whole people. We aren't like black folks, then workers, then women, right. then gay. We're whole folk. Right. And, and to the extent that you can actually, in a deep way, organize black workers, all those things come out. If we can talk about the assault on the jo- on the job because of someone's female or because of sexuality and those sort of things. So I think the important thing is not so much kind of the connections at the nonprofit level or the issue level of, of certain things. It's more how to activate the base in a deep way where all their kind of ways they exist can, can be can be dealt with and organized around it and, and defended and, and defended. One of the things we saw at the University of Chicago was that just as break was starting, um, some Trump supporters in the student body started defacing leaflets um, and started putting up leaflets talking about Latinos should get a, get a broom and a mop, black lives don't matter, and yeah. similar, li- uh, similar types of uh, verbal assaults being posted around trans and um, the gay community. This was independent of a separate set of actions around 
uh, the posting of neo-Nazi material that targeted my research center and other oh, wow. um, sites like the Multicultural Center, both on social media and physically in terms of brick and mortar buildings. So one of the things that we are, tar we are thinking about, um, there's a, in this generation certainly, some emphasis on the idea on, on questions of self-care, and I think that's important in caring for each other. But I'm going back to an old um, concept as well. I think we have to think about defending ourselves in our communities, um, making alliances to defend ourselves, because people we're fighting are very organized. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I'm, um, yeah, we need self-care. <laughs> but part of self-care is, is, is the defense also. Yep. And, and I go back to what I said before in terms of black civil society back in the day. I think there's a strong self-care element there, but it, it was rooted in a, a str relatively strong black community. And, and to talk about a strong black self-care divorce from that really weakens the overall movement. It simply does. Right. One of the things we, when we had our community meeting um, in the face of the racist attacks that I was trying to emphasize is that first and foremost, we organize. <laughs> and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and as part of that, we take care of ourselves and we do these other things, but we have to organize. Yeah. And that's part of the value of trying to, I'll call document black vulnerability in the workplace, because if it's largely kind of a student-led initiative, it will lack traction and, and, yes. and, and lack staying power, while to the extent that it can be rooted in, I say, everyday people, be it in the workplace, the church, or whatever else, then all of a sudden, people can respond in ways that allows them to actually live in their complicated ways, and will have more staying power. One of the tragic, many tragic aspects of the current moment is that we are so much on the defensive. I think sometimes we forget to think about what type of society we want to live in. And I would suggest that at the same time that we're fighting reaction, we also have to give people a positive vision. What type of visions are the people you work with trying to build toward what type of society? What yeah. are some of the characteristics of that society? So, Mike, I fully agree with the need for that, and that's why I think I talk about decades of darkness. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and in the sense that when I go back to my kind of New Deal, great society construct, the vision around that was the issue of socialism, and either people supported socialism directly in Soviet Union, in China, whatever else, or they try to have a lukewarm version of that or they're opposed to that. But still, the battle around the vision is around socialism. You don't have that right now, that people are battling around. And that's why I say it's all, also problematic in terms of the, the pushback and recovery. There's no sort of like North Star where people can orient their discussions around. So it, one, it needs to be done. Um, I mean, I was thinking about going to this, this, this talk with you, Michael, is that that is one of our, our tasks, because how do you begin to think through and project and root a vision of alternative world. We're talking about in the in the Black Workers Center Network, how do we have political education that's 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 um, rooted, not abstract and not kind of sterile, because mm -hmm. you know that, that has been done in the past, right? Uh, <laughs> rumor has it. <laughs> yeah, rumor has it. Rumor. I, I was told back in the day, right? Um, and so it can't simply be that you know, old heads get into a library and find forty-five volumes, and all of a sudden, boom come back with the answer, right? Yeah, from the mountain and, top. And, and, and so, but that's an important task because short of that, what happens is that people kind of flare around for vision. So for instance, this is, 
a, a thought, a question, incomplete statement. I was um, amazed to see on Facebook last couple of days strong support from Black Lives Matter around shop black buy black business stuff. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, I mean, I don't know what I don't know the full context. I really don't, Michael. I, mean, I don't know what the full context by itself is incredibly incomplete. Okay, that's generous. And the, and the might well, I'm, this is Christmas time, bro. This is Christmas time. <laughs> Give me spirit, okay. Um, you know, I'm saying that that's not clear where it's coming from, but 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 um, without a context, is going not good directions. Right. Okay, and I think that without that kind of north star that that exists there, that we're kind of doing battle with it ideologically and politically, we're going to flare around somewhat. That's why I talk about decades of darkness. I mean, I think the idea is to start with the notion of socialism, and start with political economy, and say what's a better political economy for for our people, and we start there. And I, I'm okay if I don't care about terms, don't worry about it. But the notion that the current political economy is insufficient for, for black survival is important. And then what's a better way to organize the political economy? I think that needs to be the, the important discussion conversation. I totally agree. And I would I'd probably raise three points. I think one is that we have to have the North Star. But I think for some of these issues, such as by black campaigns, a historical perspective does help. Um, some of these these tactics and strategies have been tried, and we know with what type of consequences which classes get enabled and benefit, which ones don't. And I think just as um, we benefited when we were young activists by the experience of people like St. Clair Drake, C.L.R. James, Harry Haywood, and others, um, Harold Cruz even, <laughs> who is his cantankerous self, um, but we do, there is some historical experience that, that might be relevant. Second, I would also, I think one ray of light, if, and I think we need to look for them where we can find them. I was working on a paper last night and rooting around, and it's the case that over the last five years when we do public opinion po- polls, there's two groups that, um, and depending on which poll you look at, sometimes as a majority that support socialism today. Most Americans obviously don't. Black Americans do. Um, and it's, it's a cross-generation. And the second group that's, um, in terms of race and ethnic groups, that supported right behind African Americans, uh, or at least were open to the idea of socialism, were Latinos. So I think there's something about the experience of black and brown people in this country that still leaves them open to an ideal, even if it doesn't have very much content right now. And that's, that's yeah. the problem. The it's, it's an oppositional thrust. That basically, we know the current thing is, is not working for us, so what's against it, I'm down with that. Exactly. Uh, and the and the and the problem with that uh, is that if something reactionary then takes says we're not that but we're something else, people might flock to that just as easily. Uh, if we well, that's a Trump phenomenon. Exactly, that's, really that's what phenomenon. I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. That, that people responding to this I call marginalization because of the age of inequality and because of race, black folks don't go for Trump, right? right. But still, the context is the same. It's an incredible beatdown of working people over the last forty years. Exactly. Walter Mosley had an essay about 20 years ago and where he started talking about um, the need to confront the angry mall of capitalism. One idea he came up with that I found interesting that I have not put into practice, but it might be worthwhile, is to have community groups, small groups, just get together and list the aspects of what they want in a society they think they would want to live in. I think part of the problem um, of our generation is everything came from a foreign book Mm-hmm. Or from the top down, and the top down, not or, and, <laughs> and the mm-hmm. top down. I think we need, if you want to start thinking about visions of the future, we might start working from the bottom up for a change. 
Yeah, so so we did have some, we had some listener listening sessions out here mm -hmm. with the Barry Black Workers Center. Um, what was fascinating, and these are like I call regular folk, regular work, not people who were politicized by some sort of ideology, right? Right. It was interesting how when we raised a vision question, how low the vision was. I can imagine. And, and, and so this was a very complicated process because for some people, the vision is quite low. Um, and not being critical, just to me that that's what it actually is, right? For, for other folk, they come into a certain leanings, and so they go into, well, we need to hire our own people. Which is the black, buy black. black. Right, that, that, that's another vision, right? Or we need a little co-op, so we need a little, little, you know, have urban gardens and those sort of things. And so the challenge is how do you correctly do something that I'll say more is rooted, not something bottom-up, but rooted in folk, that allows for a different sort of visioning. And I don't know how to do it, to be honest, Mike, I don't. But I know that the danger of being fully bottoms-up yeah. Is then, then you're kind of suffering the whims of how things are right now. Yeah, and, and, and people are having such a hard time surviving. That's why the, the vision is, can be quite limited. Um, yeah, I need yeah. to get to tomorrow, and that's what I'm worried about right now. Right, which kind of makes sense, by the way. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it does. And, and back to the old days, I mean, because you had some sense of Russia or China or Cuba or Vietnam, that was literally a North Star. It made it easier to raise up your, 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 your vision away from the ground. And we don't have that. And so I don't know what, I'm not saying we need to search for that, right? Find right. the new, new, new Vietnam or whatever else. But I'm saying that we got to understand the limitations of a fully bottoms up approach. We know the dangers of, of a foreign, power, foreign powers approach. We know that those dangers, right? Yeah. There's also dangers of having a simply bottom, a fully bottoms up approach as well. Yeah. And one of the things, that we have to deal with, and I think the ideal of the organic intellectual, somebody very, very rooted in the experiences of people, but able to take those ideals, crystallize them, and then bring them back at a higher level in a more holistic way is still valid. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And we had those people. Uh, I would put people like James Boggs and Malcolm X into that category. Um, but we part of that process was systematic political edu education. Um, people like Malcolm X or James Bach didn't spontaneously appear. Right. Um, they were they went to study. They were part of study groups. They were part of organizations. They were part of they they tested different ideologies until coming up with a vision they thought was suitable for Black liberation in this country at their, at their, in, in their times. Yeah, that goes back to my earlier point in terms of the battle on socialism. But somehow they're in a conversation around socialism, and they, they in that battle they came out with certain answers, mm -hmm. and we, that has to be part of the process. And that to me, that's that's um. I, I wish in all the Black Lives Matter activism, we had that kind of discussion on political economy more explicitly, so folk could begin to have that kind of engagement around what is the new political economy for Black folks, and out of the discussion we can see what comes out comes out of it. But if you just talk about race detachment political economy or just talk about police killings, we should stop, by the way, okay? Then, then um, we're going to limit what we can do because we are having a larger conversation. One of the goals of some of the people working, including myself, working within the Racing Capital, Capitalism Project is trying to make the point um, in theory and practice that the only way to move forward is to both talk about capitalism and political economy on one hand, and in this case, in, in, in that sense, we're critiquing, for example, the Afro-pessimists at schools such as UC Irvine, um, 
who argue that the political who downplay the political economy as a site of understanding the oppression of black people. But we also have to understand how in this political economy it's been racialized as well, both in the contemporary period and historically, and critiquing those who say that we don't need to think about race and think about other people specifically in that, in that case. But to do so, I think you're right. Um, there's a French activist who's about our age um, and scholar. One of the things he says is we have to own our words and we have to take back words that have been um, tainted or corrupted. And one of the words I think I totally agree with you that we have to reclaim is socialism, but redefine it with content uh, appropriate for our times. Yeah. And also, I think we need to, I would say more and more, we need to firmly tie together race and capitalism. Yes. Or race and political economy. Because, I mean, we went through the no days race class stuff. And a lot of times the discussion today, Remind of those discussions that people have a very mechanical view of race and class instead of saying they are fundamentally intertwined. That you can't talk about race without talking about political economy. You can't do it in any real sense. And you can't talk about political economy without talking about race. And, and that thing, the, the premise of them being separate at points is a false fundamentally. Yep. And, and that, that's to be the starting point. They're, they're tied together, they cannot be untied. Now let's discuss how these things operate. And they were tied together at the beginning. Um, and what many people seem to miss is they're tied to, they they're still tied together. They've always been tied together. It's not a case of American exceptionalism. They've right. been tied together globally, and it takes different forms in different parts of the world at different times, but they're tied together fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that seems ironic to me, and maybe that's not the right word, is that often working with people in their everyday lives, they understand that a whole lot better than scholars do who seem to be able to abstract things out of existence. Who's <laughs> the greatest of ease? Or to rephrase it, that people who work every day got to work and be black, right? Well, people, yeah. who, who, people who in scholars are working and being black in a different working context. Mm -hmm. It was actually what's happening, to be honest. That, that, yeah, people in a different context. And so, that, I mean, we just talked about declassed individuals back in the day. That's what you have. That people with declassed individuals rolling around with some ideas. <laughs> but anyway, declassed, erased. Uh, <laughs> so one of the, uh, I think, mistakes that we made back in the day was to assume that people of color were going to come together because we had innately the same interests and the understanding that we had the same interests. And I know when I reached California as an undergraduate, it was a rude awakening to see what, uh, for example, b what black and Chicano politics was really like on the ground. Uh, we had our alliances, but they were, had to be negotiated and won. They weren't automatic by any stretch of the imagination. Today, uh, in your organizing experience, um, what has been the way to, and how successful, if at all, has been building alliances between black and brown workers, between immigrant and native workers, et cetera? So it depends on the, on the side of, of, the, of the campaign, right? And so, and so in LA, when they're talking about getting more black construction workers, that ends the short term zero sum game. And so more black means fewer Latinos in the conversation. You know? um, and we can't really duck that at all, and it's complicated, right? Um, up here, my mass incarceration, because you have clearly a strong sort of Latino element as well, in the coalition around um, the, the, the campaign, we see both black and Latinos there. 
I think a lot of times it depends on the on the issue itself as to the nature of kind of the the, the the relationship between different cultural groups. Okay, if we're going to fight around higher education in California, now the issue is Asians. Which side are you on, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's no sort of global answer about the nature of the of, of the cooperation or the nature of the of the conflict. It depends issue by issue. I think one of the potential takeaways that we might that we're going to probably have to deal with sooner than later is that each of the groups you name is going to come under attack um, by the current state. Um, we're going to, I think we're already seeing, for example, within the context of Silicon Valley, people saying there's too many Asian engineers. <laughs> there's, too many, there's too many Asian um, people in the software industry. We're obviously seeing attack on immigrant rights uh, and, and immigrants, uh, particularly Latinos, but that will certainly be spread to um, immigrants of African descent and Asian descent and pot potentially, although probably less, of European descent as well. I think we'll have to be very creative in thinking, finding the issues where we can cooperate and then build, build, use those opportunities to build trust and longer range um, working relationships. Yeah, I mean, the starting point to me is being rooted in real struggle. Yes. Okay, and from there, seeing see where we have the, the, the points of unity, so like I said, around mass incarceration, it's clear. There's not a problem at all. To be honest, around Silicon Valley and Asian engineers, I have a sense that given the power of capital in Silicon Valley, they're going to take care of the, the engineers. They really will. Now, they may not take care of the security guards, okay? They might not take care of the bus drivers, but they're going to take care of the engineers. They're going to make sure they have a, a clause in any sort of reform of immigration that takes care of their peeps. They'll, they'll do that. Um, but in construction, be much more contentious. And there's a problem in Chicago where there's a ring of machine shops that you may be aware of on the south and west side of Chicago mm -hmm. that basically use temp agencies to staff those, those, those positions and don't hire blacks. That could be another point where we have a zero-sum game once again. So this will be difficult. It simply is we need to recognize that and just, and just roll and, and not try to sugarcoat it because sugarcoating never gets to, to a good solution. As you said, it's going to be a struggle for the next several years. What do you think are the top two or three things um, you're going to have to focus on with your colleagues in organizing over the next couple of years? So nearly the Black Workers Center folk, what we're going to focus on? Um, we have to kind of consolidate our network, to be honest, to make sure we can function as a well-run network that allows both kind of local vibrancies, but also has enough national presence to give space to the local power building. And that's, that's a work in progress. I think it's also important to see where we can expand in, a, in an intentional way. Um, before, what I was considering was how do you expand into the South and, and look at looking places like um, Nashville, maybe, or Montgomery, or Birmingham, or Atlanta, those sort of places. But in considering kind of um, where the money may be, to be honest, very mercenary way in the election, it could be talking about black workers centers in, in Philadelphia or Detroit and Milwaukee. And the case can be made electorally have you had a more vibrant black presence in those states, Trump might not have won. But given the current level of black activism, Trump did win. And, and so I think the question will be how we can expand our work in ways that is not based on smoke and mirrors and based on real work. I, I think beyond that, there's a need as we began to talk about to engage in kind of um, two levels of kind of ideological kind of activism. One is keep pushing this notion of the full integration of race and class. 
And second, how do we help develop this North Star? That has to be done. Well, thank you. Um, this has been a great conversation. I hope to have many more in the future. Do you for have sure. any parting words for us? Um, here's cold there. Enjoy it. It's warm out <laughs> here, relatively. It's all good, man. It's great to talk to you. Great to see you, man. <laughs> great and to see we you. We keep talking, okay? Yeah, we definitely will. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks.